0: Welcome to Important, Not Important.
1: My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. Kennedy. <sighs> this is the podcast where we try to bend the motherfucking arc of history towards a more livable planet mm-hmm. for you and me and everyone else.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're going to dive into a specific question affecting everyone on the planet right
1: now. If it can kill us or make the future a hell of a lot cooler for everyone we are
0: in. Mm-hmm. The key being everyone. Everyone. There. Uh, our guests are... Scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, farmers, astronauts, seaweed farmers, even a reverend. Um, We work together towards action steps our listeners can take
1: with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. Hey, remember that you can send us questions, thoughts, feedback, anything you want to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, Mm -hmm. or email us. At fun talk at ImportantNotImportant.com. That's right. Uh,
0: you can also join tens of thousands of other smart folks and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at ImportantNotImportant.com.
1: And if you believe in our work and it helps you fight for the future, you can support us at ImportantNotImportant.com slash ShitGiver. Mm-hmm. For just five bucks a month, we'll give you ad-free episodes a discount at the store, and even our Fun Talk episodes where we discuss such timely items as breakfast pizza, Mm -hmm. Girl Scout cookies, and being a jazz singer in the 40s. That was a good one.
0: Uh, But this week, we're asking, hey, Brian, uh, you voted for clean energy. Why the hell hasn't it become a thing yet?
1: And our guest, Dr. Leah Stokes. She's the most amazing fireball of action-oriented positivity combined with hard-hitting policy know-how that maybe we've ever encountered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's all. She's everything. She is. Uh, she's like
0: uh, you remember Captain Planet. Yes. Boy, I don't, some kids might not get that one. Some of the younger folks. It's sad. Uh, but instead, she's a powerful woman. Yeah. W- way less creepy. Oh yeah. And um, super up to snuff on like the legalities of fossil fuel utilities
1: like if like if captain planet had a phd in kicking ass mm-hmm. and public policy. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh anyways, I mean, at the end of this conversation, you will know exactly why your state is still building or spewing fossil fuels and how you can burn it all down.
1: Let's burn it down.
0: Uh this is uh this is a good one. This is how the system works. Uh kind of like uh institutionalized racism. It was designed this way and now we got to break it on down. Yep.
1: Pretty pumped. It's up to us.
0: Let's do it. Our guest today is Dr. Leah Stokes. That's how you pronounce it. And together we're asking, uh, folks, you voted for clean energy, so why the hell hasn't it happened? Uh, it's a great question. Dr. Stokes, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Sure, sure. Thanks for taking the time. We are thrilled to have you. i surprised uh, you haven't left yet. One of your four podcasts this week. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but can, should we refer to you as Dr.? No, no, like of
2: course not. Please call me Leah.
1: All right. Well. But you are a doctor. Um, yeah, yeah, not Leah. a medical doctor.
2: I think those are a little more in demand right now with the coronavirus.
0: They might need you. Uh, just hold on to your pants. We'll see.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, Leah, could you please tell everybody uh, real quick just who you are and, and what you do?
2: Sure. So um, I'm an assistant professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and I work on energy policy and politics with a particular focus on climate change. Uh, I've been doing climate change research for 15 years now, which is shocking uh, to me and everyone else. And um, yeah, I got my PhD at MIT, and I worked on how do we build renewable energy faster and get more people to accept it and you know, help fight against fossil fuel companies and electric utilities who are slowing down the clean energy transition. And that's still where a lot of my work focuses today
0: wow uh, brian you got one of those what, what was it called phd from mit i believe yes i think yes, you have all yes, those letters yes. all they, of the
1: letters they yes. might be
0: in a different order though yeah
1: don't ask me what order <laughs> it's
0: fine it's uh fine.
1: that awesome. sounds really wonderful and necessary and like a fight you'll be fighting forever probably <laughs> yeah good yeah, luck it's uh, my <laughs> life's work
2: climate change that's the downside uh the upside is it's my life's work so i know what yeah, i'll be doing for the next couple decades
1: mm-hmm, my mm-hmm, goodness mm-hmm. thank you so much for doing that uh so what we're going to do is um, provide some context uh, for our for our topic today, our question today, and then uh, we will get into some some action oriented questions that we can all um, uh, ask uh, uh, to get to the heart of, of why we should give a shit about you and all of your all of your years that you've already worked on this, and we'll continue so to so many work years, on this, fifty years, all of the years. If that sounds great,
0: sounds great. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, so Leah, we like to start with one important question to really set the tone for things, as if We haven't gotten there already. Uh, Instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, as fascinating as I'm probably sure that is, uh, we'd like to ask Dr. Stokes, why are you vital to the survival of the species?
2: Oh, wow. I guess I need to get a bigger ego for that one. Um, (laughs) Be bold. Come on. Uh, Well, I think that I have tried to orient my work towards reducing as many carbon emissions as I can. And I think that's vital to the survival of the human species because we have already warmed the planet by one degree Celsius and we are on a path uh, towards three degrees. And people who live in California like we do know how awful that has been for wildfires, the drought, extreme rainfall events, which can cause mudslides as occurred in Montecito near where I live. But you don't just have to live in California to know that carbon emissions are bad. You can live in Australia or Greece or Siberia or really any corner of the world which has experienced wildfires, extreme temperatures, crop failure, droughts. I mean, climate change is at our doorstep already. And I think that It is the work of all of us to try to turn the tide on that. So I orient uh, most of my life to trying to make as big of an impact as I can on reducing carbon emissions. And I suppose I think that is the life's work of all of us right now.
0: It should be. Uh, be. And we're really (laughs) glad that you're our queen. So thank you for that. Please Um, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. Just just tell us what to do. Um, (laughs) Okay, so uh, to get a little context, I'm going to cheat. Uh, today, sometimes this is super technical. Sometimes this is more philosophical. Uh, sometimes it's a historical rundown on something. Mm. I'm going to, again, cheat, and I'm going to read directly from the blurb about your new book, Short-Circuiting Policy, Interest Groups, and the Battle Over Clean Energy and Climate Policy in the American States, parentheses, Studies in Postwar American Political Development. It's the <laughs> shortest title on Amazon,
1: <laughs> and
0: this is what it says. In 1999, Texas passed a landmark clean energy law beginning a groundswell of new policies that promised to make the U.S. a world leader in renewable energy. As Leah Stokes shows in Short-Circuiting Policy, however, that policy did not lead to momentum in Texas, which failed to implement its solar laws or clean up its electricity system. Examining clean energy laws in Texas, Kansas, Arizona, and Ohio over a 30-year time frame Stokes argues that organized combat between advocate and opponent interest groups is central to explaining why states are not on track to address the climate crisis, which feels like a complete understatement. She tells the political history of our energy institutions, explaining how fossil fuel companies and electric utilities have promoted climate denial and delay. Stokes further explains the limits of policy feedback theory, can't wait to find out what that is, showing the ways that interest groups drive retrenchment through lobbying, public opinion, political parties, and the courts. More than a history of renewable energy policy in, Amer- in modern America, short-circuiting policy offers a bold new argument about how the policy process works and why seeming victories can turn into losses when the opposition has enough resources to roll back laws. I can't imagine a more important investigative piece at this moment, uh, as January 2021 is our first and maybe the last great chance to affect the climate crisis, uh, to provide millions of green jobs uh, to help frontline minorities who are already and always the first to suffer to help farmers and our soil and the ocean so much more. Um, But in the meantime, so many localities and cities and States like the blurb hinted to are, are are attempting to, or it's people are attempting to do the work to fight back. Um, But it seems like a lot of time that's not translating to much of anything. So examining why and how the system hasn't worked up to this point feels pretty essential. If we're going to use all this energy uh, to get people to call their congresspeople to donate money and, of course, to get them to vote. So with that, we can focus on our question this week, which is, you voted for clean energy. Why the hell hasn't happened? Leah, I'm looking at the bio on your website. Uh, and then, again, I'm generally trying to figure out if among all your degrees, you've got the entire alphabet covered here. <laughs> um, I don't even, I honestly don't know what some of these things are. But I do have a, well, I have a lot of questions. As much as, like we said, we usually look forward and not backwards. I'm increasingly curious uh, as we talk to so many of the world's smartest folks, um, many of whom are, are women and or people of color. Uh, I'm curious, not necessarily h- how they got to where they are. And like you said, you've made this your life's work and, and, and what they're working on, but why? Um, so Leah, take, take me back just a little bit. Why did you move from Canada to America? Are you, are you lost?
1: Is everything all right?
0: Is is there, (laughs) did they kick you out? Are you okay?
2: I really love the United States, funny enough. I'm an immigrant, which many people don't uh, realize, but it is Mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud to be one. And I really love this country. I chose this country. um, And I love Canada too, don't get me wrong. But Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. the United States is the engine globally for innovation. And I felt that if I came to this country, I could make a bigger impact on the world than if I stayed in Canada, even though I love Canada and my family is there. Because, you know, this is the place where ideas come from, where technologies come from, where policy is innovative. You know, we can make changes in this country that will ripple out across the entire planet. And I really want to be part of making those changes. So I'm really hopeful that the United States uh, still has the opportunity to be the world leader on the climate crisis. And we are just one good presidential election away from making that happen. So I guess, uh, you know, like many other immigrants, I'm kind of patriotic in my own way. I really like the United States.
0: <sighs> the optimism is, yeah, is la- is <laughs> laudable, wow. is laudable. I-, I hope so, too. And-, and right. That's the thing about t- 2021 here is it's like, and this is the crushing thing about the the Warren debacles we just discussed. It's like it, it is so within our grasp to do like enormous yeah. things if we can just get one one election correct. I, I do want to ask those more serious question. I mean, we don't really do serious ones, but why did you decide to focus so specifically on the discrepancies between voter behavior? and how that's not usually turned into actual policy. And, and so the world is ending it, mm-hmm. what, what got, what got you to that? Is there further, I guess, is there like a specific relationship or moment you can point to that was a catalyst to get you where you are today?
2: Well, I just keep seeing, um, from public opinion research, which I've done myself, um, and many of my colleagues have done too. I just keep seeing how much people want action on climate change. And that's not surprising Nobody really wants to hand a damaged planet to their children or their grandchildren or their friends. Uh, It's not something that we want to do, and yet we appear to be driving off a cliff. And so I keep asking myself, why is that? I mean, it's not as if rich and powerful people live on a parallel planet where they're not going to be affected by the climate crisis. They are going to be and are already being affected. And so I get very puzzled as to why we are not making more progress. And so I have oriented my research towards answering that question. And a few answers have come up. Um, First, there are powerful companies, electric utilities and fossil fuel companies that profit off of fossil fuel extraction and combustion. They make money by burning coal at coal plants, by extracting oil and gas. And Were we to pass climate policy, they understood starting in the 1980s that it would dramatically affect their profits. And so they waged a climate denial campaign for many decades. This has been documented by Naomi Oreskes, a Harvard historian, through her book with Eric Conway called Merchants of Doubt. Um, and Mm -hmm. many other people's research. And it's also a big part of my book, which you talked about, Short-Circuiting Policy, um, which I just discovered is going to be an audio book, which I'm really excited about. Cool. Um, Wait, wait, hold on.
0: (laughs) Who's reading it? Is it you? I don't
2: know. I only heard yesterday. But probably not me. I mean, I would be amazing. Let's be real. Let my ego come out for that. For sure. But but I don't think it'll be me. So anyway, so you'll be able to listen to my book for those audio files out there.
0: My kids are going to love that in the minivan.
2: Yeah, it's still gonna be a little wonky, but it'll be at least audio delivered. So, you know, the climate denial campaign has been hugely successful. I mean, this is something like, we don't know how much money has been spent, but let's say a lower estimate might be 10 to $15 billion over the last few decades. Well, that amount of money has bought these companies decades of delay and, you know, trillions of dollars probably in, in revenues and profits. So, You know, it pays them to slow down climate action and to hold the rest of the planet hostage to their business model. That's a really destructive thing. But the unfortunate fact is that they also have the ears of politicians. Um, And I've shown that in my work. In, for example, Texas, something I cover in my book, a lot of people talk about how Texas is this clean energy leader, but the fact is it only gets a quarter of its electricity today from clean energy sources. And by contrast, California gets half of its electricity from clean energy sources. So it's way behind what other states are doing. And that is because Texas has a legislature that only meets every other year and only meets for six months every other year. And people Hmm. might say- Boy, I thought
0: Virginia was bad. Holy shit. I didn't know I,
2: that. Yeah, it's, it's it's what we call is that, that is an unprofessional uh, state legislature, unprofessionalized. Right. And the consequence of that is not, oh, great. Now we don't have that pol- those politicians, you know, stealing our money or something like that. Instead, it's that we have special interest groups running the show in that state. When you talk to people in Texas about the way laws get passed, a lot of what happens is that lobbyists set up shop in people's offices and help write the bills. And it's not surprising that they help write the Mm. bills to eliminate clean energy requirements and to boost oil and gas revenue and profits. And um, the same can be said of Congress. I have this study which shows that Uh, chiefs of staff and legislative directors in Congress. These are the most senior staff in Congress. They do not know what the public wants on climate change. They dramatically underestimate the support there is for climate action. And that's particularly the case for Republicans, but it is still the case for Democrats. So why is that? Well, the more that they meet with lobbyists from the fossil fuel industry, the more that they take money from them, the worse job they do at guessing what the public support for climate action is. And we've also replicated those results at the state level with both state legislators themselves and their staff for clean energy laws and for climate action. So clearly we have a system as Elizabeth Warren would say, that is corrupt, that uh, gives a lot of access to moneyed special interest groups that um, are extracting fossil fuels and poisoning people and destroying our climate. And we really have got to change that system so that we can continue to have a stable climate for the future.
0: This, okay, I think we just do what she says, right? Yeah, that's all I, <laughs> That's, that's all I want. Yeah, we, uh, <clears throat> we link to uh, recently about 12, 12 times in, in our last <laughs> newsletter uh, uh, to the Guardian piece that said in the 2018 midterm elections, oil and gas companies spent $84 million.
2: Yep, and that's a drop <laughs> in the bucket in terms of the amount of money they're spending in all kinds of races, in ballot right. initiatives. They're yeah. creating fake astroturfing campaigns. And it's not just fossil fuel companies, it's also electric utilities. There's a crazy story right. out of New Orleans. I don't know if you've heard it, but a company named uh, Entergy literally paid actors to show up to a city council meeting which was deciding whether or not to build a, a natural gas plant a fossil gas plant and they had these actors show up and pretend that they hated renewables and wanted the gas plant to be built they paid them money and i mean I that's not that democracy that, yeah. that's just craziness that's that's not democracy at all it's no. insane
1: it's absolute bullshit that's in, that is insane yeah. Wow. Well, so, you know, we, we've we've we have and we spend considerable effort here uh, uh, trying to, to help our listeners um, and, and then with our news leader, uh, newsletter newsletter, our, our readers understand, you know, exactly how much money we're talking about here. Like 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 Quinn just said, this eighty over 80 million dollars in 2018 and the billions that you mentioned. Let's like just try to get specific for people. I, I want everybody to understand the, the dysfunction here. Is there maybe it's Texas. Is there a state that you've studied where it is the, the absolute biggest mess? And and could you take us through, I guess, is it possible to, to fix
0: this ever? Can you just like take us through the process of like, oh, people have shown up to vote. An example, like people have shown up to vote and this is how they voted and this is how it got fucked up along the way.
2: Sure. Well, Arizona is a wonderful case. Uh, Texas is a great one, too, but I've already kind of laid that out. Arizona is something I talk a lot about in my book. And there's an electric utility in that state called Arizona Public Service. It's a private monopoly company, meaning that if you don't like their business practices, but you live in a house in their service territory, they sell you electricity and there's pretty much nothing you can do about that. And what they've been doing is taking the profits from people paying their electricity bills and funneling them on the order of $55 million over several elections into electing regulators that will continue to increase their profits and block solar energy in that state. They spent, I believe, $40 million trying to block a ballot initiative, which would have required more renewable energy in that state. And, you know, Tom Steyer, the person who was recently running for president, Mm -hmm. he was on the other side of that. He was trying to make sure that ballot initiative passed and that we would have more clean energy requirements in Arizona. But unfortunately, uh, the advocates for clean energy lost and the utility has had a real stranglehold over policymaking in that state for a long time. Uh, The one silver lining is that they've gotten so much bad press out of their corrupt behavior. I mean, we're talking about putting millions of dollars into primaries so that they can choose who their regulators are going to be at the commission. And these commissioners are responsible for setting their rates and their profits because they're a monopoly corporation. So. Uh, You know, there's finally been a backlash from the public and the CEO has been ousted. And now we have a new CEO and he claims that he will no longer put money into politics in Arizona. He won't Mm -hmm. be trying to buy races for the regulator or block ballot initiatives. And You know, I'm hopeful that that could be true. But unfortunately, Arizona Public Service has lied many times in the past. If it wasn't for the work of fantastic investigative journalists, people like uh, Ryan Rendazzo at the Arizona Republic, we wouldn't even know how much money was being funneled into these efforts, because even though one of the regulators in Arizona tried to subpoena the corporation and say, you need to tell us how much money you're putting into this, they resisted for years. I'm pretty sure they even sued him. They sued their own regulator. So, you know, this is this is the kind of corruption that is really corrosive to our ability to take on the climate crisis. And we need our fossil fuel companies and electric utilities to stop this behavior and be held accountable for what they've been doing in terms of climate denial and climate delay for decades.
0: Wouldn't it be great if we had a candidate who maybe based her entire campaign on (laughs) anti-corruption?
2: yeah i know it's a little sad it's a sad day today
1: (laughs) one day someday one day um are are there places dr stokes uh states here or other countries where where uh that this is already outlawed like
0: uh, like, or are there examples where we where people have gotten money out of things like this yeah Uh, you know, obviously money in politics is is this huge problem and and we've got all the Supreme Court cases that have been such a nightmare about it and corporations or people, but are there any success stories anywhere?
2: Well, California is a lot better. Um, We have a program in place called the Intervenor Compensation Program. I believe it was passed in um, 1981. My book will fact check me on that one. And Mm. this, this program allows for NGOs, independent groups to intervene in the regulatory process and get paid for it so that they don't have Mm -hmm. to have deep pockets because they're, you know, here's how utilities have the money to go to these regulators and demand policies in their interests. They get guaranteed profits. That's how it works. They're a monopoly. They charge money to customers. And then the regulator says, we're going to pay you back for your costs plus profit. And that's fair on some level because they're providing services that we all need. But if there's nobody else who can afford to show up at the regulatory process, then you have this total asymmetric situation where you have only one group that has the resources and they're only lobbying in their own interests. So what California has done is they've passed a law that allows other groups to show up and pays them to show up. And the analysis that's been done of this law is that it has saved consumers uh, millions of dollars over the course of a, a few years. And I think it only costs each person living in California 17 cents a year to fund that program.
1: Wow! Pretty wow. much.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a huge return on investment, if you know what I mean. It should all be nationwide. Have, yeah. All of us have lower electricity bills, and we have cleaner electricity in the state in part because of this program. So If we were to have these kinds of reforms in other states, I think we would see more advocates being able to participate in the process and hold utilities accountable. And that would allow us to make better decisions, to stop approving new fossil gas plants that are going to be open for decades, and to instead turn towards clean energy sources. So You know, California is a pretty hopeful case, and I think that other states could be following our lead.
0: Is there, before everybody in the other 49 states get super excited about uh, following that, is there anything specific to California that has made that work that might not be repeatable elsewhere, or is it mostly repeatable?
2: Well, California, uh, the Intervenor Compensation Program is a really key part of that story. Um, Because there are advocates who I know and have interviewed uh, who have just been able to show up for these battles at the regulatory um, body and the legislature year after year to fight for the clean energy that we all need because they're funded and they don't have to apply for some grant or, you know, worry about is there is the philanthropist going to stop funding climate change next year. They can get a guaranteed source of money. I mean, they have to apply for it, but then they can be paid back for their costs. And so I think that is a model that other states can follow and it can make a really big difference uh, for other places. So I don't know if I've
0: ever heard of a program like this.
2: No, nobody talks about it. It's a it's a very weird, wonky thing that I that I talk about in my book. And um, it only exists. And I believe California and a couple other states and Hawaii tried to pass it a few years ago, but they didn't. And I think this is a kind of small tweak that a lot of states could be making that would start to make the playing field more even, where we could have people speaking in the public interest, speaking up for climate change and being funded to do it year after year. That's exactly what we need to start making progress.
0: I think I'm from Virginia, which is why I'm so keen on it. And also just I mean, it's such a relief and so exciting to see everything that they're they're doing now. Also, as a not professionalized uh, legislature, which is obnoxious, but hopefully they'll be able to fix that as well. But I think yeah. about, I mean, their their deals with a uh, a a utility called Dominion Power, which are just mm-hmm. they're basically they're basically just monsters. Yep. And uh, how something like a, a like oh my gosh, like a, a policy like that just could change everything in that state. That's really fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean. it, There are no silver bullets in this world, unfortunately, but, you know, to me, that's a kind of change that can help fund groups that we want to have more stable funding. And for those listeners who are really interested in understanding how bad utilities can be, I would really recommend checking out the work of an organization that I adore called the Energy and Policy Institute. This is a kind of group of ragtag uh, people who work across the country, and they dig up the dirt on these utilities. And they try to make it public and get it in the New York Times and in the newspapers of the day. And um, they're holding these utilities feet to the fire. And we're starting to see some progress through the works of groups like that. For example, in Colorado, there is a rural electric co-op called Tri-State, which is very dirty, maintains a lot of coal plants. And in the last couple of months, they've announced that they're going to start retiring their coal fleet. And that's in part because of activists uh, putting pressure on them, and you know, highlighting that these plants that they're operating are dirty, and not only are they polluting the climate and the air and poisoning people's lungs, they're also not economic. Believe it or not, a huge amount of the coal plants that are operating today are losing money and they're Mm -hmm. only staying open because the companies who own them have debt in them. You know, they need to pay off that debt. And so their goal is to keep the plants open as long as possible so that they can continue to make revenue and pay down that debt. And they in part have debt because they made terrible decisions. When (laughs) there were regulations coming down the pipe federally, things like the Mercury Rule, they faced a choice, electric utilities. They could either shut down these plants and clean up the air and find better ways to produce electricity, or they could sink more money into them and retrofit them and have debt on them and keep them operating. And a lot of utilities made that choice. And that means that these plants You know, they're not operating to help anybody out. They're not helping out consumers. They're not providing cheap electricity. They're not helping out people on the planet because they're poisoning the air and destabilizing the climate. The only thing that these plants are helping out is these utilities' bottom line. So we've got to have campaigns to shut down coal plants all across the Southeast and in places like Colorado. I mean, there's just so many uneconomic coal plants. And the first goal has got to be let's shut these things down.
0: Well, it makes me think of of two things. One is is the news. I believe it came out last year that it is now in many places. I don't think it's most places, but in, in many places, uh, it is now cheaper unless you are one of the people who, who has plugged a bunch of debt into one of these things. It is cheaper objectively to shut down a coal or natural gas plant and open solar or wind mm-hmm. um, than to keep running that plant, which sounds insane because for all we ever heard was the last leg they had to stand on was like coal is so cheap. You can't beat it. Right. And and yep. and and now they don't have that anymore. And like you said, it's down to these last folks who who can't get out and under their debt. And that's gonna be a problem. Jeez. And that's gonna devastate communities. And it already has. And like we obviously need, again, if only there was a candidate who had just plans for all of these things, it would be super helpful. But, you know, we we have to help the the, the secondary people who are gonna be infected affected by that. Um, but we do need to close them like yesterday. So kind of moving towards action i want to talk for a minute about about two very 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 rich people um and mm-hmm. and the the first is is michael bloomberg who is a endlessly complicated character mm-hmm. um so because we're we're looking at things through a very specific prism here and we'll ignore everything else which is so much um and even his just environmental record alone is complicated right because he's credited by a, a lot of folks rightfully for Throwing like, fucking Scrooge McDuck level money at the Beyond Coal campaign, right, and and helping mm-hmm. close hundreds of plants. We can have a separate conversation about how we also funded can you know campaigns for people who then voted, uh, voted for fossil fuels, which is is just kind of complicates the whole thing. But the problem was a- a- after Beyond Coal, we built a fuck ton of gas, right. So again, complicated. Mm-hmm. You have talked a bit publicly, like we talked about, you're in every article, I believe, even stuff that's not climate change. I feel like I read about, you know, t- tigers No matter there, what you're reading. They're asking for a Leah Stokes quote. And I'm like, that's not even appropriate search at Search for play. Stokes. Anyways, you've talked a bit how you feel Jeff Bezos could most effectively spend his $10 billion climate stash that he's throwing out there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you look at the full plan of an Elizabeth Warren or, or Bernie Sanders or even, I mean joe biden right the 10 billion mm-hmm. is a it's a drop in the bucket compared to the trillions we need to overhaul everything uh and, and overall everything we know about energy and how we and how we use it um but it it compared to what's being spent right now it it could be a huge kick in the ass right so where would you most effectively spend 10 billion dollars go
2: yeah Well, I think that, you know, Michael Bloomberg's out of the race as of yesterday. God, it all just changes so fast in the last couple of days. eh? It's It's been a crazy week. Anyway, yes, it has. So I think we can all go back to not hating him quite as much as, as unfortunately, he was loathed the last few weeks, Um, perhaps for justifiable reasons, but at least on the climate front, uh, Bloomberg is not the enemy. He has put I think, upwards of $80 million into the Beyond Coal campaign at Sierra Club. And that campaign has helped in these kinds of regulatory battles that we've been talking about to make sure that a group like Sierra Club is well-resourced and can show up to the battles and go to the regulatory proceedings and say, hey, you don't need to keep that coal plant open. That isn't justified. And to fight against these utilities trying to keep them open and, um, you know, People might forget, but they blocked over 200 plants from being built in the first place. At the end of the George W. Bush administration, there were a lot of coal plants being planned all across this country, and the Beyond Coal campaign first started by blocking those plants from ever being built, and then they pivoted towards shutting down existing plants. And I think they've Mm -hmm. um, shut down over 300 plants now. So we're talking about you know more than 500 coal plants that they have helped get offline. And of course, yes, there are other factors. There are economics, there are regulations, there are other things that are shutting down coal plants. But Sierra Club showing up and having the resources and being able to put pressure on regulators to shut down coal plants, that has definitely made a difference. And what Bloomberg did before he started running for president again is he launched the Beyond Carbon campaign, which was an expanded version of the Beyond Coal campaign, but now at 500 million dollars, so that more than 10 times the spending if well, maybe more like eight times the spending. Um, And, you know, that was supposed to be focused to some extent on natural gas, because what's been happening is that in these proceedings at state by state regulatory commissions, a lot of utilities have been saying, we need to build gas now. We got to build this gas. And a lot of new gas plants have come online. So we're in the same place that we were Uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago for coal as we are now for fossil gas. And we need a campaign to block those plants from opening. So I think that that work uh, that Bloomberg is going to fund uh, is really important and high leverage. And I could see Bezos doing the same kind of thing. For example, about half of all the homes in this country are heated and cooled and they use cooking fuel from fossil gas, this mm-hmm. is methane that is dug out of the earth and you know goes into our homes. And there's research that's suggesting that it even leaks in our homes, and it's really not good for our health. So there's lots of yeah. reasons to get fossil gas out of communities. Um, in the Northeast, for example, there's often leakage in the old pipeline infrastructure, and it literally blows up houses from time to time, literally. Um, so we've got to get this fossil gas out of our buildings, and I could see. Bezos funding a campaign to start that process. You know, how are we going to get incentives at the county level, the city level, the state level to help people get fossil gas out of their houses, to change to heat pumps, to induction stoves, to electric hot water heaters, all this new technology. Um, That would be an amazing campaign. Um, We could also see him you know, try to uh, fund grassroots groups that are putting pressure on uh, our federal government to make sure that we can get Democrats elected to the Senate. And as of yesterday, one good news is that it seems like the Democrats do have a shot of flipping the Senate, actually. So um, one thing that Tom Steyer has done a lot with his money is he's started an organization called NextGen, and it has funded groups with ballot initiatives, uh, who you know people running in campaigns to try to get climate champions elected. and I have heard some rumblings that um uh, Jay Inslee's team may be working on things like that too going forward. So funding for uh, Jay Inslee's former people would be brilliant because I cannot sure. think of smarter policy people who have really i mean these these guys wrote, wrote more than two hundred pages of documents on how to transition the economy. and so, you know, what if we funded some of their ideas as campaigns and started to, for example, try to retrofit homes to get more energy efficiency, to get fossil gas out of that? Here's my real dream. Do you know who Chip and Joanna Gaines are? Do you know who that those people are?
0: Yes, I definitely know who they are. They're building like a city, aren't they? I mean, it's incredible.
2: Yeah, they like the Oprah Winfrey of home renovations. Okay. Right. Oh, those? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, th- So here's my dream. I dream that those two, you know, I think they have five kids and in January they were quoted in the media saying that they really care about, you know, protecting the planet for their kids and they want to do something good. Well, here is what Chip and Joanna Gaines could do. They could start making getting gas out of homes, a really cool thing to do. They could be, you know, marketing oh. induction stoves, talking about heat pumps, talking about energy efficiency retrofits for houses. They could make this cool for everyday Americans. And the nice thing is they're from Texas and, you know, they're they're not lefties, so to speak. So sure. they would be wonderful messengers in terms of, you know, creating a big campaign. So, Bezos funding Chip and Joanna Gaines to sell induction stoves to America, you know, that's one of my dreams for how this money could be used. Nice. And and this is kind of, you know, maybe this sounds weird to people, but the fact is, we've got to change a lot of infrastructure in this country, and some of it is at the plant scale, like coal plants and shutting them down, and that's something we should work on, but others of it is in people's backyards. It's in their own houses, and we've got to get rid of fossil fuels everywhere in the economy. Mm -hmm. So, Uh, there's a lot of work to do and I, I'm, I'm really happy with Bezos' decision to give this money. I know some people have been critical, but to me, this is exactly what we need so that we can scale up ideas and campaigns and start getting leverage on removing fossil fuels everywhere that they exist.
0: Important follow-up question. If Chip and Joanna Gaines hear about this and Jeff Bezos hears about this, Uh and as again, because you're in every article, Mm -hmm. uh, And they find out, oh, my gosh, Dr. Leah Stokes up in Santa Barbara, this was her idea. And they say, Dr. Stokes, in exchange for this idea, we offer you, we will renovate one part of your house. What would you what which part of your house would you do?
2: So here's the dirty secret of Dr. Leah Stokes's house. I focus so much on climate change. I mean, I work seven days a week. I have a full-time assistant. Like I've kind of run my health into the ground a little bit over the last 12 months because I just Mm -hmm. feel like this is the moment I have to do everything I can do. And, what people may not know is that my husband also works on climate change full-time, so that's oh, our boy. gig. Oh, and boy. so our house is uh, half-renovated. We have um, had a hole in the wall for about four years now. Oh, so okay. we, we are not focused on solving the problem of making our house look nicer. We are focused mm-hmm, on solving mm-hmm. the problem of the climate crisis. But the number one thing I really want to do, if mm-hmm. and when I get the time, to do it is to get gas out of my home. That is something mm. that I'm really passionate about. And I've been telling a lot of other people to do it. And I'm hopeful that some of your listeners might get inspired to do it too. Mm-hmm. But that is on the top of my renovation list. Uh, you not, know, get a gas free home. No, the hole in the wall. One time, so we took these upper cabinets off. And I don't mm. know if you know when you take cabinets down, we then gave them away for free to somebody else. So they were recycled anyway. Wonderful. Um, we took them down, and afterwards, you'll see that it's not painted behind the cabinets. There's just some weird, mm-hmm. it looks bad. And yeah. we've had that in our kitchen for four years. And one of our <laughs> friends came over and they said, Oh, is this abstract art on your walls? <laughs> and- <laughs> And we
1: said, no, that's called half done renovations. Yeah. So, you got to yeah, say I yes could, to that I question. I have use Absolutely. and
2: Gaines in my life, but I only want them if they're going to do it in this eco-friendly, deep decarbonization kind of way. Because one of the only changes I've made to my home, if you must know, is I put in these things called Indo Window Inserts. This is an American company, and they okay. allow you, if you have single-pane glass, which many people in California have— to create a custom-sized insert that sits up against that single-pane glass in the windowsill, and it's an energy efficiency measure. It blocks the amount of heat coming in in the summer and the amount of heat leaving in the winter, and it's been really fantastic. So, you know, my renovations are energy efficiency and deep decarbonization. Uh, that's what I'm working on, and uh, I have a good friend up in the Bay Area actually who has already retrofitted his home to be uh, fossil fuel free, and uh, I really admire that. So. I think that that's where we should be headed. That's the cool new thing in home renovation, right? Making things eco-friendly.
1: <laughs> is there a home renovation show? Is there an HGTV show that is that? Because there should be.
2: I know. There really should be. Don't you think? That would, that would be, be genius. Awesome. Somebody in Hollywood should be listening to this podcast yeah. and be thinking, you know, let's make an eco uh, home renovation show. Genius. That would
1: be so awesome. We got nothing else to do, Yeah, Come on, let's do let's it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If
0: you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. (laughs)
1: Your positivity and optimism are incredible. Uh, Although, clearly there are obstacles. Uh, What would you say are the biggest or what is the biggest obstacle that you run into besides having to live in the States? (laughs)
2: Um, I think our biggest obstacles are fossil fuel companies and electric utilities. And, um, And more recently, there's a new campaign which people can get involved with about the role that banks have played, including Chase Bank and and insurance companies like Liberty Mutual uh, have played in funding and bankrolling a lot of fossil fuel infrastructure. So, you know, we've got to get these companies to change their tune Electric utilities and fossil fuel companies could become allies in this fight, and so far they have been obstinate. They're putting very little money into the transition. I have heard that ExxonMobil spends more money advertising its algae biofuel campaign than it actually spends on its algae biofuel campaign. I don't know (laughs) if that's insane, but I've heard that.
1: I I wouldn't be surprised
2: we're talking about, you know, tiny slivers of research and development budgets, like 1% that's going towards uh, real deep decarbonization. And so We have got to tell these companies that is enough is enough. They have to pivot their infrastructure. They have to pivot their capital and they have to start investing in deep decarbonization. Otherwise, these companies will not exist anymore. That is what we've got to be clear about. And so um, one really exciting part of the campaign that's going on right now is called Stop the Money Pipeline. Uh, It's been launched, I believe, by former people who worked at 350 and Mm -hmm. um, they're targeting Chase Bank in particular. Jane Fonda is part of this campaign. And on April 23rd, which is the day after Earth Day, there Mm -hmm. are going to be events at Chase Banks everywhere across the country. So it doesn't matter where you live. I'm sure there's a Chase Bank in your community Mm -hmm. and you can go and protest. If you are a Chase Bank customer like I am, you can, you know, cut up your credit cards, you can close your bank account. You can take money out of your bank accounts. You can go and talk to them and say how disturbed you are because Chase is, I believe, the biggest funder of fossil fuel infrastructure. And they do have um, a former Exxon executive named Lee Raymond. I believe he's on their board. He has a senior role um, with their organization. And you know that the link between Chase and the fossil fuel industry is wrong. And we need to tell them that enough is enough. They need to stop. So um, those are the obstacles. We need to stop the money flowing into the fossil fuel economy. We need to stop fossil fuel companies and electric utilities from continuing to invest in the fossil fuel industry. And we need them to stop investing because research shows that we are already on pace for 1.5 degrees Celsius. If we build any new fossil fuel infrastructure, any new natural gas plants, new oil fields, put more natural gas in new buildings. If we do any of that, we will tip over past 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that is considered, you know, the safe level as if one degree Celsius is safe. It certainly doesn't feel safe in California or in Australia or in Siberia or anywhere else. But, you know, that is a really hard line that we need to not cross. And so now is the time to get involved and to start demanding that our, our institutions like Chase Bank um, start changing their ways. So those are the main obstacles. And then the last one I would say is, unfortunately, we have a climate denier occupying the white house and, uh, really? we've got to change that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that sums it up. That sounds pretty comprehensive. What is it? What are the biggest obstacles that you run into in, in your daily work? Like what's the shit that drives you crazy that you're constantly pushing up against? Is it just academia or?
2: <laughs> well, I think that a lot of people believe that climate change is a, an individual problem. And they believe that in part because fossil fuel companies like BP have run campaigns for a very long time, popularizing the idea of a carbon footprint calculator, you know, log on to BP's website and you can figure out how much you specifically are ruining the Mm -hmm. planet. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And I think I, I started in this movement, from an individual behavior change perspective, I was a psychology student and I ran a campaign to try to get people to save energy, to try to get them to take the stairs and turn off their lights, et cetera, and do all these changes that individuals can do. And at the end of that experience, I woke up and I realized that, sure, I'd saved maybe 10, 12 percent of the electricity in those buildings. And I maybe empowered a lot of people to think about the climate crisis but I hadn't moved the needle nearly as much as we needed to, because this is not an individual behavior change problem. It is a policy problem and an institutional problem. If we could transform the behavior of fossil fuel companies and electric utilities, that would go so far into solving this problem. Sure. You know, it's It's awesome if people want to buy an electric vehicle. I have an electric vehicle. It's awesome if they want to retrofit their homes. I fully support that. But Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody thinking because they took a plane last week or because they eat meat or because they used a plastic straw that somehow they're not in the climate fight. They are in the fight and we need everybody in the fight. I don't care how big you think your footprint is, how many children you have, as if you're responsible for your children's footprint. I deeply disagree with that. You know, all of that messaging is divisive and it doesn't build the big tent that we need. I fully support people being vegan or making choices, riding their bike. I've done those things in my life, too. But we have to recognize that we need every single person in this fight so that we can hold our politicians accountable, hold our institutions accountable, change fossil fuel companies and electric utilities, and really get the entire society on a pathway toward deep decarbonization. Because this is not so problem you can solve by yourself trust me if it was i me and many of my friends would have tried to do it already this is an institutional problem which means mm-hmm. it is a political problem which means the number one thing people can do is talk about climate change and get involved in an organization to drive political change on this issue. It's not about self-purification. It's about political action. And, you know, Bill McKibben, Catherine Hayhoe, a lot of leaders in our movement have been saying that. And I just want to underline sure. that that is very true based on my own research.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, it is. It's. It's. Look, I've always believed, and and this is more sentimental than practical, that do, doing little things, whether, you know, obviously buying an EV or little things like your light bulbs or using less water or whatever it might be, or, you know, or getting gas out of your homes kind of in the middle, uh, you know, those things make you feel like you have at least, it makes you feel, they're, they're, they can be so annoying at times. I mean, buying an EV is less so, but doing some of these other things are so annoying that it almost makes you want to hold the bigger institutions feet to the fire. Even more, it's almost like I, I've got my foot in the game. I'm doing my shit. Like, why aren't you guys? Um, but it, it is important to know, like, you know, whenever people ask us like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this? I'm like, just fucking vote. Just, <laughs> just start. Just start with fucking voting. You know, when like, it, it, I, I, I'm, ex- I'm interested in seeing what California's turnout was for this primary because the last primary, uh, when everyone was saying how California was the vanguard of the mm-hmm. uh, resistance, turnout was 11. percent And it's wow. like. I'm so glad that you're using less water during our drought and doing this shit. But 11% is completely fucking unacceptable. And we we have to get yeah. out there. And and look, I'm not saying we got to get to 100. We won't. The national averages for even presidential elections is whatever, 50, 51%. And hopefully we can start changing that more with absentee balloting and same-day registration and all that stuff. And But it, it it's got to be better. It's the number one thing. That's the thing. We have to get those people out of there and get the right people in. Um, Yeah.
2: And you know, one thing I've learned from my research is how much leverage a person with ideas can have on the system. You know, if you've, for example, the idea of a renewable portfolio standard, maybe you've heard of it. It's this law Mm -hmm. that exists in majority of states, including in California that sets targets for clean energy. There was a young woman who was doing her master's thesis at uh, UC Berkeley, and she wrote about this idea in her master's thesis. And, you know, She then worked with organizations. There was a campaign across the country. And now this policy exists most places. I mean imagine what you could do if you decided that you wanted your city to ban natural gas in new buildings. This is something that's happening in Berkeley, for example, or um, up in the Bay Area and a bunch of other cities. You could do that. You could get your city to ban natural gas. You could get your city maybe to pass an incentive program to give people $1,000 for getting rid of natural gas in their homes. That's something you could realistically do. I mean, there's there's a lot of people in politics and policy who are hungry for good ideas. And if you bring good ideas and you get engaged in the process, you can make a difference in a totally outsized way. And that, to me, is the best offset plan there is. You know, it's not about buying some credit about trees being planted in, you know, the, the, somewhere in the world. It's about what can I do in my community to try to change this problem and, um, you know, that could involve going to Sacramento or going to your state capital wherever you live and trying to change policy. It could involve getting and in, be involved with a group like 350.org, a really amazing mm-hmm. organization or Citizens Climate Lobby, which is a bipartisan group. Um, you know, those things can help you get plugged into when are there big options. Like right now in Santa Barbara County, where I live, there's a proposal to build a new oil project. And I don't support that. And I've spoken up and saying I don't support that. And I've supported campaigners who are writing reports about how we shouldn't build that project. And those kinds of things exist everywhere. So think about what fossil fuels you can get out of your own community, what projects you can block and how you can support, you know, Better, faster deployment of electric vehicles, of solar, of uh, electric hot water heaters, of induction stoves. We can all do things to try to change the infrastructure of our lives, and I think that that is really the goal here.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I mean that's the thing that's going to make the big difference, right? It's again, like the the other things are fun and they take some work, and they're becoming less expensive, but we will not see a paradigm shift unless there's a paradigm shift when it comes to the. <laughs> The infrastructure. So, uh, kind of on that note, as as we as we get towards the end here, um, we do have a you know we have a fair number of elected officials and their staffs who listen to our show, both statewide and federally. Uh, they read the newsletter. What can those people take away from this conversation and and further your book and specifically the audio version? Obviously, <laughs> um, w- w- where does where does change start for those people?
2: Well. Look, there's this wonderful book called Designing Climate Solutions. I would suggest that any policymaker or staff person who doesn't quite know where to start should check that out. It's a roadmap to all the different ways that you can pass policy to target emissions across the economy. Um, And I would also say that every elected official... Uh, And staff could download the 200 pages of the Inslee Climate Plans or the 14 Warren Climate Plans.
0: We have Mm -hmm. a lot
2: of really good ideas out there. Uh, Those ideas are, are mostly targeted at the federal level, but You know, there are ways that we can downscale this to the state and local level, too. Uh, I have a report myself coming out soon from the Roosevelt Institute and the Southern Uh, Economic Advancement Project, which is is Stacey Abrams's new uh, group. And, you know, we have come up with a list of things that uh, cities, states, counties in the South can do to try to decarbonize, because unfortunately, the South is way behind the rest of the country on these things. So. Um, You know, there's lots that we can all do, and every person can make a huge difference. And particularly if you are a politician or a political staffer, I mean, wow, think about how much leverage you have and how much you can change the system if you try. So I just would encourage everybody to view themselves as a climate champion and, um, you know, not worry about purity tests or, you know, whether or not they have a big carbon footprint. Just lean into this problem and see what there are, what there is that you can do in your um, your state legislature or your city council or your county supervisor uh, board or whatever it is. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Everybody can play a role, and um, everybody can feel proud of playing a role. This is like a World War II scale mobilization, just like in World War II, where people had victory gardens and they did many things on the home front to help support sure. the broader campaign. That's the same right now. All of sure. us can be making changes to really leverage um, this this transformation
0: together. Maybe the problem with America is we just need more Canadians in it. Maybe this is the thing. <laughs> this is what Canadians have been saying for years. <laughs> this is the whole thing. So they started just coming just on ca- down and being like, fine, we'll just fucking do it ourselves.
1: Fine. <laughs>
0: Well, there's Uh, a
2: funny story that I have. I actually have a lot of friends in the United States who are Canadian and who are environmental activists and researchers and whatever else. And I kind of call us the secret Canadian environmental mafia because we are in your midst. You can't quite tell that that's who we Ah, are. Oh my god, I love um, it. You know, we are spreading the environmental gospel across right, the country like, it's like if
0: you have a long enough conversation you can kind of maybe pick up on it depending on where they're from but it's not one of those obvious things where you're like i don't know maybe they're an agent <laughs> but I, i'm not 100 percent sure we're just gonna keep she just, seems so lovely yeah keep, we'll just keep going
1: <laughs> keep them keep on coming down um so I, we've actually done a really good job thanks to you of, of covering a lot of the action steps that we can uh, all take to to get involved in you know Specifically in this conversation in an outsized way. I don't think anybody we've talked to has really like harped on that so much. That's awesome to it's hear. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but yeah, let's, so let's just sum it up um, and, and get specific here. So we always, uh, we talk about what we can do with our voice um, to try to change, you know, policy on our, our local and, and state levels. What uh, Dr. Stokes are, are the like very specific and actionable questions that the rest of us should be asking of, of our representatives? Think of like literally,
0: someone's going to type this out and print yeah, yeah, it, and yeah. take it into their city council meeting.
2: Well, is there a fossil fuel development in your community? I mentioned that in Santa Barbara County, we do have one. It's called the Cat Canyon Project. Um, if there's a fossil fuel development in your in your community. Go and speak up. For example, Oxnard had a bunch of natural gas plant um, projects that were proposed, I believe, and people worked in that community to try to block those projects. So, you know, is there uh, a facility being proposed in your area and what can you do to block it? Is there an existing facility in your area? What can you do to help shut it down faster. And if you don't know where to start on these things, there are campaigns locally. 350.org is an amazing organization. They have campaigns all across this country, little chapters everywhere. So Go and join them. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're not maybe as lefty or you don't want to block projects, you want to think about passing a carbon price nationally. uh, There's a group called the Citizens Climate Lobby that has chapters all across this country and that is working really hard to try to get uh, carbon pricing passed. And so you could join that organization. Um, I would say that uh, blocking things is great. And then if you want to build things, go look at what Berkeley's done. Berkeley has blocked new natural gas hookups in new buildings and what if you got your city to do the same you could just get them to adopt exactly what berkeley had done or you could go farther you could say we don't want it in new buildings and we want to have an incentive program for existing buildings and anybody in our city who gets rid of natural gas will give a hundred dollars
0: to as a rebate yeah, I'd get a
2: or a puppy. A I have puppy? Puppies are pretty nice. Yeah, um,
0: Brian's a cat guy. Don't get excited over there. Like I you. like puppies. I'm too. a
2: cat guy too, actually. But, yeah. but I, I, I'm an equal opportunity animal lover. So okay. you know,
0: okay.
2: Um, so that's something Great. you can do, right? Like, how can you get other community members to get natural gas out of their homes, and you can renovate your own home and get natural gas sure. out of your home? I mean, that's a big thing to do because Spread let's say you sell your house you sell your house to whoever buys it next, there's not going to be fossil fuels running their house anymore. So um, that's pretty big. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're unfortunately facing a time when electric vehicles uh, adoption might slow down because the federal government has, as usual, abdicated its responsibility and not extended the credit for some of the main manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, California still has a tax credit, or, or I think it's a grant, actually, that rebate. California has financial support for people who buy electric vehicles, which is awesome. And so think about buying an EV if you're able to. That's a big change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, think about how can we support campaigns to get federal policy back in place? And that might mean voting blue no matter who in the uh, right. you know fall. Nobody's and if you live in a blue state you. like California... Think about if you're going to travel to a nearby purple or red state right before the election to try to make sure that we flip those areas. You know, I'm already thinking about, am I going to go to Arizona? Am I going to go to Nevada? You know, all of us need to be doing everything that we can to make sure that we have um, a federal government that's going to prioritize these issues because the federal government is where the money is. So a Mm -hmm. lot of money can flow down to state and local initiatives if we can just, at the White House and ideally put the Senate too. So, yeah, so those are some of the things that I would say and you know, writing to your federal representative is a big deal because my research shows that they do not know how much public support there is for climate change. So, reaching out to your local officials, reaching out to your state uh, representatives, reaching out to your federal senator and representatives, saying, "I'm a climate voter, this really matters to me. We've got to break through." the block that fossil fuel companies and electric utilities have put up where they've convinced many politicians that nobody cares about this. that This isn't a voting issue. And in the last year, we've started to see polls in the Democratic primary that this is sometimes the number one or number two issue. So we got to make sure that, re- that Republicans, Democrats, independents, doesn't matter what their political stripe is. They need to understand that climate change matters to people. So send an email, you know, make a phone call, write a letter, reach out to your representatives to tell them that climate change really matters to you. Because if they start hearing from you, I think that we can start to change their perceptions about how important acting on climate change is.
0: I love it. We're big proponents of, uh, do you know, fivecalls.org?
2: I do not. Tell me more.
0: Uh, they're really great. Little, well, again, one of the million uh, of, of little groups that started uh, after the uh, 2016 election. And, um, it's, it's super rad. It's a, it's an app on your phone or website. the website that the app on your phone is, is, is so convenient. It's crazy. So you, you open it up and you put in your, your zip code and it automatically populates all your representatives from, from the federal level on down. And you pick one of the listed issues. That's a current issue, uh, that are categorized environmental or gun control, or whatever it is. You click on it. It gives you like a paragraph of context. And then you click the next button, and it literally just gives you a script of what to say, and you and you push a button, and it calls the number. And if they pick up, then you read the script. And if they don't, you leave a message. And then you uh, hit when you hang up, it, you it asks you for feedback: Did they pick up? Did you leave a message, or did you know did no one answer? Um, and it's just it, it couldn't be an easier way to, like you said, they don't know how much right. people care about policy. You can call in the middle of the night. Leave a message if you're scared. You don't want to talk to somebody. Like it's such an easy way to to get involved and do the thing. It's, yeah, it's
2: f- and I love that. That's brilliant. And you know, if people send an email or a letter and they write it themselves, I think mm-hmm. that that. I mean, I'm doing some current research on this topic, so I don't really know. But my hypothesis is that if you kind of write your own message, it doesn't need to mm-hmm. be long. It, you know, it could just be like, I really care about climate change you know, there's, there's some bills right now, uh, like the clean future act, for example, in Congress, you could mm-hmm. say, I really support the clean future act or actually crazy enough. There's a bipartisan bill in the Senate in Lisa Murkowski and Joe Manchin's, uh, committee I saw right that, now.
0: Yeah.
2: It, you know, it's not the perfect bill. I wish it would go farther, but you could write about that bill. You could say, you know, this bill really matters to me. It's really important. We have to act on climate. So Writing your own message. This could take you three minutes. You don't have to talk to anybody if you're freaked out by doing that. And all of these messages get read. I have talked to many people in congressional offices, and they read them. So don't feel like you're screaming into the void. We've got to change the perceptions. And I would be remiss if I didn't say once again that April. So April twenty second is Earth Day. That's the fiftieth anniversary of Earth Day. So everybody Mm can you know go to some kind of party. But Mm -hmm. the day after Earth Day, which is April twenty third. That is this big campaign day against Chase Bank. So mark your calendars. If you're interested in getting involved, you can go to stopthemoneypipeline.org to get more information. And, you know, think about if you can go to a Chase Bank that day. It doesn't take much. I'm sure a lot of your listeners... Have a Chase credit card or a Chase account. They're really common. They're the Amazon credit card and the United credit card. I have those cards. I have an account. And so I'm going to get involved. And I would really encourage people to think about, you know, can I do this? Because look, if we can get banks to stop funding this stuff, ooh, that would be amazing.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I love it. Brian, you'll be taking some time off from work for us to go stir shit up again.
1: Okay. (laughs) Get ready. I'll do it.
0: Handing out some stickers, kicking some ass. <laughs> um, this is fantastic. And you definitely need to let us know where you're going because we just want to follow in your wake, yes, I believe. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes whatever yes. the
1: thing is. Um, <laughs> you're,
2: you're stalkers, right? But in the good way. There's this. But, they're, um, they're, the, but uh, the nicest yeah, hold, one. Nice the nicest one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: oh, no. We got to wrap what? up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite pieces that Bill McKibben has written. He's a wonderful writer on climate. Oh, yeah. um, he's written this piece in the New York Times. I think it was back in 2014. And it's about. I think it's about like there are bad pictures of me on the Internet or something like this. Anyway, he gets stalked, but by like right wing anti climate people and they take pictures of him, you know, with a plastic bag or getting into a cab or, you know, being an evil You know, mm. person in the hu- person in the world who, of mm. course, uses carbon because the entire world runs on carbon, and right. I love it because he says hypocrisy is the price of admission to this movement. And so, mm. you know, don't feel like you need to be pure before you get involved because you will never be pure, and we need everybody involved, yeah. involved right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it it's wasn't no clear, there's no purity going no. on over here whatsoever. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry if that was except, like a misconception. We
2: do wash our hands. We do wash yes, our hands. Yes, we are very yes. good at that, and we don't we touch our faces.
0: This.
1: Twenty <laughs> seconds,
0: please. Stop. I mean, I have three small children, and it's just constantly, oh, just god. like, oh my god, stop touching your face. <laughs> oh my god,
1: holy cow! Oh. Yeah, uh,
0: Brian, bring it home uh, here. Uh, yeah, yeah, get this it's, lady. It's she's been, got so much. So, so long.
1: We know you're busy. Thank you so much for she's being four here more today. today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have we have a little um, a little lightning round, list of final questions for you if you have time. Of course. It'll be really fast, right,
0: Quinn? Yeah, Yeah. real fast. All right,
1: Dr. Stokes
0: with Leah, as you prefer to be called. Uh, (laughs) When was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful?
2: When I was in fifth grade and I spent my lunch hours cutting up small milk cartons so that we could make them flat and recycle
0: them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. That is the best. I love it.
0: That's so specific. That's so rad. Um, the, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months?
2: Elizabeth Warren. I don't know if she's in my life. She's in my heart. Um, well, you she know. might not
0: know she's in your yeah. life.
2: <laughs> she has been out there fighting for brilliant ideas, fighting for everyday people, fighting for climate action. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't want to be running for president. It seems exhausting. Are you kidding me? And she's just been shaking hands, giving speeches, doing selfies and doing it all with a smile and amazing energy. And I think as a woman who cares a lot about policy and details and making a positive change in the world, you know, seeing Elizabeth out there, doing pinky promises with young girls everywhere. It just, it's made me so hopeful. And um, so she's been great. And I'll just say also Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee has been amazing. Love him. In a world
0: where like it was still okay to prefer a white dude. Um, (laughs) To be clear, like Warren was my choice from way back. But if you look at not just environmental, like if you look at Jay Inslee's track record as governor, it is insane that he's not president. I mean, he has been so productive on, like, every front. It is crazy. But it's like, we just, he's from the Northwest, so we ignored him.
2: Yeah, and now he's going to take on coronavirus much better than Pence or Trump.
0: What a guy. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. What Um, a guy. I I will, I will, we're almost done. I want to leave, I'm not sure if you got to read, uh, Senator Warren's sort of exit letter phone call that you emailed. I didn't read it today. yet. I okay, will. Okay, so th- <laughs> it's it's amazing, but there's one quote in it which I was like, "Did you just come up with this on the phone?" That's crazy. Um, and I'll read it to you here. Choose to fight only righteous fights, because then when things get tough, and they will, you will know that there is only one option ahead of you. Nevertheless, you must persist. Yep,
2: that's right. right? I mean. Here's the thing. I've given money to a lot of candidates in this race. I've talked to anybody who will talk to me and I'll tell you my number one candidate for president is climate action and doesn't matter who's on the ballot in November. They're a better than Trump. Definitely. And B we have to make them into the climate champion we need because there's no choice. There's no more time we've procrastinated for decades. And so persistence, positivity, can-do attitude. That's what we all need right now. And so, um, yeah, Elizabeth Warren is a real inspiration on all those fronts.
0: Well, it's a dangerous word to use right now, but your your positivity is infectious. Not in the other infectious <gasps> thing that's going to kill everybody, <laughs> but in, in a great way.
2: <sighs> yes. I'm not spreading is. viruses. I'm spreading ideas. It's a good
0: virus.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. Uh, Leah, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What What is your self-care? Mm-hmm. Okay. Punching holes in walls.
2: I um, I love a person named Monty Don, who is a British gardener who has a show called Gardener's World. And oh uh, it's just him in his garden, looking at plants, talking about how to plant stuff. Whoa. So I watch, I watch Gardener's World and then I garden. In fact, during Super Tuesday, rather than watching the TV nonstop, I planted a bunch of dahlias in my garden, which I'm very excited about. Um, so gardening and Gardener's World with Monty Don are my uh, stress relievers.
0: Please tell me this is like the great British bake-off of gardening. I mean, is this my new thing? I'm sure. Yeah, so
2: except without any competition. It's what you might call slow oh, TV. God. Nothing really happens except plants grow. You learn Don't about care. different, uh, you know, flowers. You could put places. You learn how to grow vegetables. It's so oh, great. Oh, There's no competition.
0: <laughs> I'm so <Monty. laughs> Have you heard of the uh, iNaturalist apps?
2: Yes, I have it on my phone, I'm pretty sure. It helps you identify plants, right?
0: It's so cool, it's like the nerdiest community, and then they have a second one called "Seek, um which like doesn't save your location so you don't get the you know oh. that whole issue. Um, but they both do the same thing. They're so fantastic.
1: Yes, yeah, very cool.
0: Gardener's World. It's the only good reason to wander around with your phone.
1: Uh, <laughs> Dr. Stokes, if you could send a book, one book, to Donald Trump, what book would you choose? It's okay if it's yours.
0: mm-hmm.
2: Only problem is Donald Trump doesn't read, guys. I know, no, but I know. you we have know. an audio version We know out. he
1: can listen <laughs> or somebody can and read also, it to him. someone
0: can read it to him or picture books. We've yeah. gotten the whole spectrum. We have a whole list of these things.
2: The Education of an Idealist by Samantha Power. Samantha oh. Power worked in the Obama administration and... Um, she wrote a brilliant book about, it was a memoir of how to actually be an effective person in government. And so I feel like Donald Trump could learn a lot from her about how to care about other human beings, how to do your best in trying situations. And guess what? It even has a whole section on how to deal with the Ebola crisis. So Trump could definitely wow. learn about how to do coronavirus better from uh, Samantha Power's book. It's an awesome amazing. book. It's like She's 600 amazing. pages and it goes by in approximately a minute. It's it's fantastic.
0: <laughs> She, she is amazing. That's another one that, uh, I, I can't wait to see what she does over the next 10 years or so. Hmm. Um, Dr. Stokes, this has been wow. fantastic. Where can our listeners follow you online?
2: Well, unfortunately they can find me on Twitter. I'm on there far too much. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. Leah Stokes on Twitter. Uh, I have a website, Leah uh, dot .com and yeah, my book is coming out. It's going to be an ebook, an audiobook, a paperback, a hardback. Um Whoa. And when? theoretically, I'm going on a book tour, but oh, I don't know. That may not happen as a coronavirus. So
0: well, yeah, yeah. everything's canceled. When
2: does the uh, book come out? The book comes out on March 18th, which is nice. like a minute from now. And, yeah. Um, but that's only the shipping date. So you know, all these the audiobook probably won't be available for a little sure, longer, sure. and. Anyway, everything takes time in this world, as you know, including decarbonization. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's coming Details. out really soon. And I'm really Exciting. excited. Yeah, very cool.
0: Well, I think this so cool. is probably going to come out March 16th. So oh, oh, okay. wow. books, out in, books out in a couple days, folks.
1: Get your orders wow. in. That's so great.
0: Um, That's so crazy. Can't wait. Uh, very excited. Uh, Leah, thank you so much. Thank you so for much. For all of your time today. And taking you away from your garden show, uh, we really appreciate the sacrifice you've made.
2: It was no sacrifice at all. I really appreciate how focused on action uh, you guys are. I think that that is where we all need to be heading. And um, with Fridays for Future, uh, with the fire drill Fridays, you know, Mm -hmm. there's lots of ways that people can get involved. And I hope that people will think about April 23rd as a day that they want to get
0: involved, too. I love it. I love it. You just got to take that first step. Go to your first That's thing. Right. Uh, break the seal, and yeah. and it just gets addicting from there. Leah, thank you so much. Uh, it is truly a pleasure and an inspiration. And uh, we will uh, we will talk to you really soon. Thank you for coming to America. <laughs> thank, thank you. We needed you.
2: Thank you for having me. I have a green card, so you know I'm grateful. To <laughs> yeah. <these laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Uh, bring your friends. Okay. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Leah. Thank you. All right. Bye. Take have care. Bye. Bye. Thanks to our incredible guests today and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species.
1: And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Uh, just so weird.